0: Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we would encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Good morning. My name is Nathan. I get the privilege of serving on the team here as the executive pastor. And it's an honor to get to share the word on behalf of Pastor David. And um, I can't wait to get into today's message. But I really, one of the things that is such an honor in regard to sharing the word is this, is that the Bible is, it's a conundrum. It is shockingly consistent, and yet it is always surprising. And it's because it's different than any novel. It's different than any historical book. The Bible is alive and it's living. It says that it's active even. So as we approach the word of God today, my prayer for you is this, that the Bible, the word of God would surprise you, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you in a fresh, and a real way that would speak to your heart exactly where you're at. And in that moment, transformation would take place. Obedience would rise up in your heart as you commit to following Jesus. Amen. Well, we were wrapping up a series called Driven by Joy, and and each week of the series, we have been focused on embedding joy into our lives as the people who follow Jesus. Our lives, as Christians, our lives should be marked by joy. Amen? Amen, because there's a supernatural component with joy that's different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy, true joy, comes from the Lord, and it is a a direct line, it's a direct result of the Holy Spirit being active in our lives. So it's independent of your circumstance. So that's why we want to take, we've taken these four weeks to really drill down and speak about joy. And we've talked about having joy in our relationship with Christ. For the first week, Pastor David talked about the the joy of salvation. We've talked about joy and shared purpose and making a difference and even joy and suffering last week. And if you missed them, don't worry about it. There's not a test at the end of the day, but you can go on YouTube and, and watch them if you miss them. But today, what I want to do is spend time talking about how to have joy and endurance. So often the apostle Paul talks about the Christian life as a race. And the race is not a sprint. It's very much a marathon. So how do we have joy in enduring? So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 12. And then for you overachievers, we're going to spend the predominant, the most of our time in Matthew chapter 4. So if you want to go and turn your Bibles there, we'll be there in just a moment. But first, let's pray. And then we're going to jump right in. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you. We we thank you that your word is alive, that it is living, that it is active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it can divide even down to the bone and the marrow, the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. So God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, your word would do its work today. More than my words, more than anything we have to say, Jesus, I pray that we would hear from you today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. And he says this, the author says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this is a staggering statement the writer makes here. He says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now, this is, this is staggering when I think about it, because in order for that to happen, Jesus had to have had a joy that was not based on circumstances, but was rooted and grounded in his identity, his purpose. This, and this is what enabled him to endure the cross. It's this idea when you think about how much Jesus had to endure in the moments of the cross. It is staggering to think that there was a joy set before him that was empowering him to walk this journey. You know, growing up, I remember in junior high, growing up, you think the most dangerous things in life are going to be the Bermuda Triangle and quicksand. So as a junior higher, I remember going, this is, how do people, what happens with people? Just don't go to the ocean and stay out of jungles. You're gonna be fine. I remember like this fear of going like, that's gotta be the most dangerous thing in the world. And yet, as you age and as you mature, you realize the more dangerous, far more dangerous than either of those is, is the life that calls you to comfort over conviction, of power over humility, and ease over endurance. And it's because successes display our talents, but enduring displays the strength, the depths of our strengths in the Lord. Why do we struggle to endure so much? It's partly because I believe we live in this society, this world, this, we have these mental frameworks that are always going, what's next? I do this all the time. I get bored of a, with a conversation. My wife will tell you this. I get bored of the conversation. I say, what's next? As in, I'm done talking about this. My mind is made up. What's next? I'm not telling you that's healthy. I'm actually going to tell you the exact opposite of that in just a moment. But, um, we live in this "what's next" world, right? And it's it's because we're always looking at what's next, we miss out on what's now. And so, when we're focused on what's next, what's yet to be, what's coming up, what's what's going to happen in a moment or two moments or a week or a month, we miss out on the beauty and the joy and the strength found in serving Jesus in our current moments. There's beauty and joy and endurance but we have to be able to embrace the moments that we find ourselves in. Not despising them, but fully embracing them. How do we find joy and enduring? You know, there's this old phrase, maybe you've heard it, but when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the next best time to plant a tree? Today, yeah, someone's got it. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Why? Because you have to prepare before you need it. You have to, you know, the best time to prepare for a battle in life, something you have to endure, a hardship, a moment is not while you're in it. The best time to have prepared was before you got to it. And I think part of unlocking the keys that Jesus shows us in enduring and, and having joy in enduring is looking at his, the totality of his life. Jesus' public ministry was roughly three years. So that's, I know we're, we're heading into back to school, so you parents, you're gonna have to brush up on some math to help your kids. That is only one-tenth of his life. So 90% of his life was not public ministry. 10% was. And I think that's interesting because scientists would tell us that if you look at an iceberg, 10% of an iceberg is what you see above the surface. But 90% of an iceberg is what is below the water level, which is unseen. And the terrifying part about this is their mass is so great. What is so large underneath the surface is what makes them indestructible and dangerous. It's not what you see. It's what you don't see. So Jesus' life following this pattern of 10% was public invisible, 90% was not. I believe there's something we can learn about the 90% of Jesus' life that enabled him to endure, and not only endure, but have joy in his endurance. Because really, our, our ability to endure doesn't tell us much about our futures, does it? Our ability to endure reveals our past. How have we prepared? What is the current condition of our souls? Because when you get in that moment and then all of a sudden a stressor, something happens and you lash out, right? Come on, I'm not the only one guilty here, but you lash out, and you say something in a moment and then you go, ah, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Well, what's showing us in that pop quiz moment is what was already there. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if something's coming out of my mouth, that something was in my heart. So we have to take moments and be intentional so that we're able to prepare for the trials, for the test, the temptations that life throw our way. So, my goal today is to get our attention maybe off of the 10% for a little while, off of the 10% that the people see, and begin looking at the 90% of our lives that is unseen. Because that 90%, that's where, that's where strength resides. That's where your ability to go through hardship, to go through trials, to go through temptation, and not only go through them, but maintain a posture of joy through them. And I believe that that's what, if we look at the life of Jesus and we see the crucifixion as the, the latter bookend of his life, of his public ministry, I think if we look at the earlier bookend, we get some clues, we can get some insights, we can get some, some truth about the way Jesus approached life, that will enable us to strengthen our joy and enable us to have the tools we need to endure. So let's go to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, verse one. It says, then after, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is immediately following his baptism by John. Verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Preachers love to make jokes that this is the obvious verse in the Bible. But what I want you to know is that why this verse is important is because Jesus was fully God and fully man. So what this verse is saying is that he was not availing himself of his divine nature while he was fasting in this moment. That he was human. He was not like Superman, impervious of all needs. That he was fully human and had physical hunger. Verse three, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, There are three temptations that Jesus faced. These are the same temptations that that Satan has been using for all of history. These are the temptations that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. These are the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. And these are the temptations that you and I face in Kansas City in 2023. Now, Tim Keller would call these root idols or these root temptations, comfort, control, power, and influence. But that's not an alliteration. So we're gonna go with appetite, applause, and authority. Here, I want to show you this. We had on a chart. I want to show you that these are the same temptations over and over again. DJ, do we have the chart ready? Okay, so here we go. So temptation number one: spiritual appetite. Genesis chapter three, you may eat of any tree. Satan tells Eve, you can eat it anywhere. Matthew chapter four, you can eat by changing these stones to bread. Second temptation, appeal to personal gain or the applause of man. You will not die. And Genesis chapter three. You will not hurt your foot in Genesis, or Matthew chapter four. Appeal to power or authority. You will be like God, Genesis three, five. You will have all the world's kingdoms, Matthew four, eight, and nine. Here's the playbook that Satan has ran for all time. He offers you something attractive. He leverages a natural desire that you have. He identifies a shortcut to a desired outcome. And he mixes the truth with a lie. Jesus' strategy for overcoming, for enduring temptation, is he anchors himself to the word of God. He prepares in advance, and he was uncompromising in his obedience. So let's take a look at them one by one. Matthew chapter four, verse two. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, many translators would tell us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you can actually translate that word to sense. Here's why that's important. Because no one in the wilderness was questioning Jesus' identity. Jesus knew who he was. Satan knew who he was. The angels that were gonna to come to minister him in just a few moments knew who he was. This is not a temptation of identity in this moment. If you are the son of God, do something cool. No, no, no. Satan is tempting Jesus. Since you are the son of God, why don't you fulfill this appetite that you have and a means that is disobedient to God. That's a different temptation altogether, isn't it? Since you have the means to fulfill this appetite, why don't you go ahead and do it? What's the harm? Jesus, you're in the wilderness. Centuries earlier, God fed his people bread in the wilderness. Come on, why don't you turn these stones to bread and feed yourself? Why don't you avail yourself of the power that's within you? There's a moment where we have to make a decision on how will we choose to fulfill the appetites that we have in this life. Our society will tell you that if you have an appetite, if you have a desire for something, to fill it. God would tell us to fulfill our appetites in ways that honor him. And in doing so, we can have joy that endures. Jesus' response, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight. Jesus is reinforcing his will through God's word. So when we allow circumstances to dictate our actions instead of following God's will, we sin. Jesus could have turned these stones into bread, but he would have been exercising his powers independently of his father. And Jesus came to obey his father. Over and over throughout the gospels, we see Jesus saying, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father saying. Jesus came to be fully obedient to his father. So when we position our emotions and our appetites behind the word of God, we can have joy and overcome the temptation. We can endure temptations. But when we put our appetites, our emotions, our desires in front of the word of God, we fail. Emotions are healthy and a part of how God has created us, but they were never meant to be the driving force in our lives. They are secondary. They're great followers and terrible leaders. We have to decide how will we respond to the temptation of our appetites? Will we have the joy to endure by reinforcing our will with the will of God, with the word of his, with his word. Second temptation, Matthew chapter four, verse five and seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered at him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now this seems like an odd temptation at first, doesn't it? Jesus jump, jumping off the top of the temple. Give you a little context here. The Greek word that Matthew is using for the highest point means little wing. So there's two points that there's two places on the temple rooftop or the, the pinnacle of the temple that theologians and historians think this could talk about. It means little wing. It's, it's one is on the southeastern corner of the temple above the Kidron Valley, which these points are 350 to 500 feet above the ground. And that's one area, that's one corner. Or that the highest point could actually be on the southwestern corner, known as the place of trumpeting, which is when they would have, they would have, the trumpets would have been blown there. That's where they would have made, hey, there's a, there's a big announcement or we're going to begin Sabbath at this moment. It would have been an announcement type of place, the place of trumpeting. The historians and theologians don't know which corner of the temple this was, but either way, these were areas where large numbers of people would have congregated in these areas. So by Jesus leaping, the temptation, Jesus leaping off the roof in either one of those locations, having angels rescue him, would would have been spectacular. It would have been larger than life. And I think in that moment, standing there, Satan showed Jesus another temptation the temptation of awe and applause of man. Imagine the temptation, just your holy imagined, just imagination, just think for a moment. Imagine what you could accomplish if you were viewed as something or someone that's spectacular. Imagine what you could accomplish if you were one of those people with a million followers, if you had the blue check. Imagine what you could accomplish if you were famous. Imagine what you could accomplish if you just got the right title at your workplace and everyone thought that you were a big deal. Imagine what you could accomplish if everyone around you just thought that you were spectacular. This temptation goes deeper than the surface level, doesn't it? Because the temptation of applause is not about just a singular moment of good job, well done. You did a great job on this project or man, that was awesome. It goes beyond that because inside of each of us is one of our fundamental desires is to be celebrated. It's so having the public affirmation of our value, of our giftings, of our contributions to society and to teams and to workplaces and to families, having that affirmation is so valuable to us. It's a root desire that we have. And that longing isn't intrinsically evil. But when we shift our focus from living for God's approval to living toward man's approval, we begin to fall into the trap of the enemy and we begin to live for applause. Man's approval is always temporary, but God's is lasting. Man's is here one moment and gone the next, but God's is wonderfully consistent with you. Jesus was able to distinguish the difference between these, God's approval and man's approval because he had established his identity in Christ and in God as Father. Satan's temptations so often muddy good intentions with poor methods. So like Jesus, how do we become immune to this temptation? We lock in our identity. We have to lock in our identity. God's love for you does not ebb and flow. You are loved. And God's love for you is consistent. So on your best day, God does not love you more. On your worst day, God does not love you less. His love is so wonderfully consistent for you. But in our minds, we, we, sometimes we look at God's love for us like it's man's love for us. That if we, do, we have a good day, then it's more. If we have a bad day, it's less. No, no, no. He is altogether better than that. And for the first 30 years of Jesus's life, he established his identity independent of the opinion and applause of man. And it's in that place that we get the joy. We become anchored and we're able to have joy to endure temptation. Think about it. Before Jesus did any public ministry in the baptism of John, we get this the wonderful triune moment of this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Before he did any public ministry activity, his identity preceded all of that. And so does yours. Before you do anything, more than anything you can ever accomplish, you are loved by God. You are a son, you are a daughter. You, you, you are a child of God that you were created in his image. You are an image bearer of God. And in that alone, you have infinite worth. You have infinite value because you bear the image of Christ. You bear the image of God to this world. And the more we get that truth, bedrock downloaded into our hearts, the stronger our anchor Becomes comes through the temptation of applause. Third temptation I want to tell you about today is Matthew 4, verse 8 through 10. It's the temptation of authority, and it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, All this I will give to you. He said, If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If Jesus' test for applause was entirely public, this third temptation of authority would be completely private. Satan takes him up to a mountaintop. We have no idea what mountain. He takes him to a mountaintop and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, it can all be yours if you just worship me. Now, I know in 2023, we have some intellectual detachment from the, this temptation because we go, of course I wouldn't worship Satan, right? We just go there. We're just like, how is that even a temptation? You know what I mean? We get this, this cartoon mental image of, of the horns and pitchfork and all of these things. And we're just like, oh, come on, that's a joke. That's not a real temptation. But just back up for a moment and just think about this. Jesus could have been given the world without the pain of the cross. He could have had all authority to make all things right without enduring. At first glance, it seems easy. But pause and think, if you were the sole and ultimate ruler of all of this world, what could you do without authority? What would you do without authority? And maybe your mind's already running through the mental list of things that you would fix, that you would set right, that you would improve, that you would make healthy and whole. I would stop trafficking in a moment. I I would end racism. I would remove every corrupt and immoral leader I would, people who are, are lying and building empires on the backs of other people, I would, I would, I would fix that situation. I would, I would make so many wrong things right if I just had the authority, if I just had the power to do If it was in my power to do it, I would do it. Now imagine the offer becoming real for you. In a completely private moment, you could have it all if you just worship me for a moment. The temptation for authority is real because we all have a longing inside of us to make a difference. But when it's corrupted, when that longing becomes twisted and transformed, instead of serving others, we begin to serve ourselves. Satan asked Jesus to trade the eternal for the visible. Satan was trying to get Jesus to gain earthly authority at the expense of his spiritual authority. Jesus knew that true authority comes from God alone. Everything else is temporary. All authority that we have on this planet is a derivative. It is small, it is temporary, it is fleeting, it is here one moment and gone the next. But spiritual authority... Last. That's why Jesus marvels at the centurion in Matthew 8 5. He understood authority more than anyone else in the nation of Israel. He goes, Oh man, I've never seen faith like this in the entire nation of Israel because the centurion goes, Hey, I know what it means to be under authority. All you have to do is say a word, Jesus. The centurion understood that Jesus was under authority from his father, and because of that, Jesus' spiritual authority was large enough to take on any encounter he was going to have in this life. When Jesus leaves the wilderness in just a few verses and he begins his public ministry, people were amazed at one particular aspect of Jesus. Do you know what it is? His authority. And it's the same attribute that captivates us today, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus' ministry was marked by this. In Matthew 7, 28 and 29, it talks about the authority of Jesus. Matthew 8, 27. Matthew 15, 31. Mark 1, 21 and 22. Luke 4, 22. Luke 4, 32. John 7, 46. And it keeps going on and on and on. People marveled at Jesus' authority, but it was not based on his external talents. It was not based on his... Position in the synagogue, Jesus' authority stemmed, flowed, began, found there in the, the genesis and the fruition of all of his authority from God the Father. That he said, I don't do anything that I don't see my Father doing. And in Jesus establishing his spiritual authority, it came out of his submission and obedience to God the Father. He wasn't willing to trade temporary authority for eternal authority. And because he had that vantage point, because he had that perspective, he was able to have this bedrock joy. He was able to have this this strength and endurance that enabled him to walk through each one of these temptations. So how how do we build? How do we have joy and endurance? How do we do this? Well, I think when we look at the life of Jesus, we look at the temptations of Jesus as the, 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 the early bookend of his life. We, we look at the, the joy he showed in enduring the cross as the latter bookend. I think I see three things in these temptations that Jesus was doing, that Jesus did, that we can replicate in the here and now. The first thing is this, is to memorize scripture. I think it's interesting that Jesus only quoted one verse at a time to Satan. Jesus, that John 1 tells us, was the word become flesh. He was the personification. He was the embodiment of the totality of the word of God. Jesus, being fully man, had to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor before both God and men. So we have the word of God becoming flesh and blood, and we have Jesus quoting a verse to Satan in the face of every temptation. I think that's interesting because I think that should be encouraging to you and to me. That you do not have to have 100 Bible verses memorized. You don't. You don't have to have a photographic memory of every page in your Bible, of every scripture you've ever read in any context you've ever heard it. Because having a single verse memorized can carry you through even the darkest temptation the potency of God's word is not diminished by our lack of knowledge. When you know, when you have one word and it is deep into who you are as a person and it is a, becomes a reserve of strength, when you're in the midst of temptation, all you need is one verse. One verse is powerful enough to overcome the enemy you face. But it's gotta be in you. It shouldn't be a Google search away. So, my hope, my challenge for you today is this memorize a verse. For some of you, that's that's a big deal, and you're going, oh man, I have not memorized anything since high school. I crammed for a test and then I forgot everything. That does that work like this? No, it doesn't, unfortunately. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Memorize a scripture. Just one. Maybe some of you go, that's easy, Nathan. I'm ready for a challenge. Give me something. Whoa, okay, memorize another scripture. Memorize maybe a chapter. Memorize a psalm. And I want to encourage you, instead of focusing on how far you think you have to go, celebrate how far you've come. So there's no shame If you just, I've got one, praise God. I memorized my first scripture. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. So I want to encourage you, take a post-it note, stick it on your car, put it on your mirror at home, stick it around the house, whatever it takes. However, you can best get into the habit of memorizing scripture. But as you memorize scripture, I promise you, you will begin to be able to meditate and think about the word of God more frequently than if you're dependent upon a device or a book. It'll be inside of you. And no one can take that away. The second thing that I see Jesus doing is this, that he is preparing in advance. My encouragement on this point is this, as we near 21 days of prayer, I, my hope is that we can create daily rhythms, individually and corporately, create rhythms of spending time alone with God. That we'll spend time individually, privately reading the word, that we will spend time in prayer, we'll spend time in worship, because this is the same type of private moments, these are the same type of moments that Jesus' life was marked with. I don't have time to go all through the examples in the gospel, but over and over again, we see Jesus stealing away to an isolated place of solitude. To, to early in the morning, he would rise and go on a mountain to spend time with his father. Or late at night, he would stay up. The, 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 the disciples would be going somewhere and he'd hang back so that he could spend time with his father. There are, there's a rhythm, there is a discipline of creating these private moments like Jesus did. Why this is important is because these moments are where we develop the spiritual muscles to endure. We are able to lock in with our identity in Christ, who we are. We develop the spiritual muscles to endure. We prepare in private before the moment. Our identities become rooted and grounded in Christ. And then all of a sudden, when the applause of man, that temptation comes into play, we know who we are in Christ. And we're able to not only endure, but have joy through the temptation, through our endurance, maintain joy. We prepare in advance. So I like to lift weights. I like to work out. Um, And my goal in lifting weights and working out is not so that I can say and tell you stories about lifting weights and working out. That's for CrossFitters. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love CrossFitters. Anyway, so um, CrossFitters got that one. I'm sorry to everyone else. Um, But it's not in that moment. It's in the moments that prepare me for life. So when my wife comes to me and says, hey, Nathan, I can't move this. Can you move this piece of furniture? Hey, can you do this for me? I can look at her and go, I got you. And I can strut on over to that couch and I can move it wherever she wants me to move it. However many times she wants me to move it because when you move it once, it's never done at once. It's always like you gotta move it like four times because it's an inch to the left or an inch to the right. I wanna be able to pull the two-ton Costco cart for my wife. Now, I don't prepare in Costco for that moment. I prepare in advance. Why? Because when I'm pulling the Costco cart or I'm pushing the Costco cart, I don't want her thinking, man, my husband's struggling. I want her thinking, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. (laughs) But you prepare in advance for the moment. And the third thing that we see in Jesus through the temptations is this, is that he was uncompromising in obedience. As Christ's followers, we need to become uncompromising in our obedience to God the Father. And I know that sounds simple, but I'm telling you it's not easy. That's a very simple thing to say and a very difficult thing to live out. So I Matthew 13:44 the the root verse, the foundation verse that we've had for the series it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. There was an uncompromising nature when the man found the treasure. You and I, as Christ's followers, we, we found the treasure. The treasure is Jesus. We found the treasure. Now it's time for us to sell everything, to become uncompromising in our obedience. I can only imagine this moment, turn of the century, 32 AD. Jesus telling us the story and everything that would be involved and, and selling everything that you own to gain something. There is an uncompromising nature. See, our values determine our our evaluations of life. If we value comfort more than, than character, then trials, then temptations, they upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we won't be able to Like Jesus, Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured. For only living for the present and we forget the future, then trials make us bitter, not better. Temptation of applause, temptation of appetites, and the temptation of authority. the temptations that we face over and over again through life. Jesus shows us the path forward through the word of God, through our identity being found in him and through becoming uncompromising in our obedience to God. So my question for you today is where are you at? So if you could just take a moment, I'd like you just to bow your heads and close your eyes just right where you're at. And maybe as we were talking today and we were going through each one of these temptations, the Holy Spirit nudged you, kind of began to speak to you about a particular one. Maybe the Holy Spirit started convicting you about the temptation of appetite. That you're filling or you're attempting to fill appetites that you have in ways that don't honor God. Maybe the temptation of applause is causing you to, to drift further and further away from your identity in Christ. and Maybe the temptation of authority is pulling on your heart in a way that's causing you to step out of obedience. So Jesus, I pray for my friends today. I pray that you would strengthen them in their inner man. I pray that the word of God will become alive in their hearts in a way that is fresh and new that there would be a passion and a hunger to consume scripture, to memorize the word of God. I pray that our identities would become so grounded, they would be rooted in you. There would be no shaking our identities. And then just in this moment, if... One of the root temptations in authority is this, that you want to be the leader of your own life. That you have never said yes to following Jesus, that you have never said, I want to give up authority over my life and I want to allow Jesus to become the supreme authority in my life. I want him to become my king, my leader, my Lord. I want to step across that line today and make that commitment. And maybe you're gonna make that commitment for the very first time, but maybe you're gonna make that commitment to, to renew it, to say, and I did that when I was in my 20s, but now that I'm in my 40s, I, I need to redo this. I, I did it in my 30s, but now that I'm in my 50s, man, I really, I need to recommit to this. That Jesus is the authority. I wanna, I wanna put my life under his authority. If you want to say yes to beginning that relationship with Jesus or yes to renewing that relationship with Jesus today, in just one moment, I'm just gonna ask you to stick your hand up right in the air. So if that's you today, I want you to raise your hand in three, two, one. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. 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 If that was you, I I want us just to pray this prayer together. Jesus, I give up my authority. And I come under your authority. I give you my life. I'm committed to following you for the rest of my life. I don't want to have earthly authority and miss out on spiritual authority. Come, take up residence in my heart and I will commit to following you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ready, can we stand on our feet and put our hands together for every person who prayed that prayer this morning? Come on, that's an absolutely incredible decision. Absolutely incredible decision. And if that was you, whether you're online or in the room, we've got... We've got resources for you. We want to walk with you. We don't want you to go through life alone. You are not meant to go through life alone, but you're supposed to, we're supposed to, as Christians, go through life in community together, walking as the people of God. On your seat, there's a card that says, I have decided, I'd love for you to fill that out. You can drop it in the, the buckets as they go by in a moment. You can take it to the information center or the boxes around the room. We've got Bibles for you down front. We would love to resource you with that. In a moment, our prayer team is going to come down front. We would love to pray with you. We'll encourage you. Don't do this alone. As we pray, as before we give, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these incredible men and women of God. I thank you for every man, every woman, every child. Jesus, I pray that our lives will be marked with your word. Our lives will be marked by having our identities fixed, founded, rooted, and grounded in who you say that we are, Jesus. God, and I pray that we would become uncompromising in our obedience to you. In Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would, as we give, as we worship, you would bless the giver. God, that you would use these funds, this generous people, and make it go further and farther to reach our city, to reach our nation, and to reach our world. God, that you would do a transformative work in Kansas City through the people of God at Radiant Church. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.